0: Chapter 12 of The Moors in Spain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by SS S. Kim, Seoul, South Korea. The Moors in Spain by Stanley Lane-Poole. Chapter 12. The Kingdom of Granada with such soldiers as the seed and such kings as fernando and alfonso the recovery of all spain by the christians was only a matter of time every nation it appears has its time of growth and its period of efflorescence after which comes the age of decay as greece fell as rome fell as every ancient kingdom the world has known has risen triumphed and fallen so fell the moors in spain their time was now near at hand they had been divided and undisciplined before the almoravide annexation they were not less so when the berber masters had been expelled but hardly had the almoravides disappeared when a new enemy came on the scene the almohades were fanatical unitarians who had overthrown the power of the almoravides in africa resolved to imitate their vanquished predecessors by including Andalusia in their empire. The dissensions among the princes of the long-shattered kingdom of the Moors made the task an easy one. In 1145, the Almohades took Algeciras. In 1146, they occupied Seville and Malaga, and next four years saw Córdoba and the rest of southern Spain united under their sway some princes indeed held out for a while but the hordes of african fanatics were too overpowering for any single chief to make a protracted stand against them the almohades however had no thought of making andalusia the centre of their government they ruled it from africa and the consequence was that their hold upon spain was weak the disturbed provinces of andalusia were not easily to be retained by princes who contented themselves with deputies sent from morocco and with an occasional expedition to repel the attacks of the christians when they came in force their efforts were generally crowned with success they won a splendid victory over the christians in eleven ninety five at alarcos near badajoz where thousands of the enemy were slain and immense spoils fell into the hands of the fanatics but the fortunes of war changed when in twelve twelve the disastrous field of las navas decided the fates of the almohades of six hundred thousand men few escaped to tell the tale of slaughter city after city fell into the hands of the christians and family dissensions among the foreigners and the attacks of rival dynasties in africa enabled the chiefs of andalusia who had grown impatient of the spasmodic rule of their foreign masters in twelve thirty five to drive the almohades out of the peninsula an arab chief ibn hood then made himself master of most of the south of spain and even of ceuta in africa but he died in twelve thirty eight and the command of andalusia now devolved upon the beninassir of granada the kingdom of granada was the last bulwark of the moors in spain it was not much that was now left to them between twelve thirty eight and twelve sixty fernando the third of castile and jaime I of aragon conquered valencia cordova seville and murcia and the rule of the moors was now restricted to the present province of granada that is the country about sierra nevada and the sea coast from almeria to gibraltar within this limit however their kingdom was destined to endure for another two centuries and a half though hemmed in on all sides the moors were well served by soldiers the people of the conquered cities the most valiant warriors of the vanquished Muslim states came to place their sword at the disposal of the one remaining Mohammedan king. Fifty thousand Moors are recorded to have fled to his protection from Valencia, and three hundred thousand from Seville, Hérés, and Cádiz. Nevertheless, Granada was forced to become tributary to the Castilian crown. The founder of the dynasty of Beni Nasr an arab named ibn el amar was the red man because of his fair skin and hair was a vigorous sovereign but he could not withstand the power of the christians who now held nearly the whole of spain he paid homage and tribute to fernando and his son alfonso the learned not however without more than one struggle to free himself from their yoke and from that time forward Granada, with its surrounding territory, was generally let alone by the Christian kings, who had enough to do to settle their already vast acquired territory and to do away with local pretenders. From time to time, the Moors made war upon their Christian neighbors, but eventually they had to make up their minds to a secondary position the sum of twelve thousand gold ducats was the tribute paid by mohammed ten in fourteen sixty three as a condition of peace during these two centuries the moorish territory had suffered little diminution gibraltar had been lost and won and lost again other places notably Algeciras, had become part of the christian dominions but the general extent of the muslim realm remained in the third quarter of the fifteenth century much what it had been in the first half of the thirteenth during this period of comparative tranquillity granada had taken place of cordova as the home of the arts and sciences its architects were renowned throughout europe they had built the marvellous red palace Alhambra, so called from the colour of the ferruginous soil on which it stands and they had covered it with the splendid gold ornaments and arabesque mouldings which are still the wonder of the artists of all countries granada itself with its two castles was a pearl of prize. it stands on the border of a rich plain the famous vega lying at the feet of the snowy mountain of the moon the sierra nevada from the heights of the city and still better from the alhambra which stands sentinel over the plain like the acropolis of athens the eye ranges over this beautiful vega with its streams and vineyards its orchards and orange groves no city in andalusia was more favored in sight or climate the breezes from the snow mountains made the hottest summer tolerable and the land was fertile beyond compare the site chosen by the moors for their celebrated red palace is a terrace bounded by precipitous ravines at the foot of which to the north flow the waters of river Darrow. solid walls of stone covered with stucco and strengthened at frequent intervals by towers surrounded the terrace the enclosed space is somewhat of the form of a lanceolate leaf lying on a table-land with its greatest length about half a mile from east to west the visitor finds his way into the enclosure through a massive embattled tower of orange and red pierced by the gates of justice under which the caliphs like the judges of the hebrews were warned to sit in judgment twenty-eight feet above the pavement over the horseshoe arch a cabalistic key and a gigantic hand carved on two stones once inside the walls the visitor finds himself in a square on one side of which is an unfinished palace designed by charles v the corridor through which entrance is now gained to the alhambra crosses an angle of this ruined structure and admits the visitor to the court of myrtles so called from the profusion of those shrubs which adorn its sides a narrow passage ushers us into a court one hundred and forty feet long and half as broad flooded with sunlight and gay with goldfish which disport themselves in a long pond that fills the larger part of the space pillars and galleries adorn the sides and ends of the enclosure and on the north the great square tower of komares rises against the horizon the court is a place of peace the water scarcely makes a ripple as it gently oozes into the ample reservoir and leaves it without a gurgle the multitudinous goldfishes gleam and glitter in the profusion of sunshine no suggestion of the outer world penetrates the stillness all is calm but is not the dull cold calm of ruin and death we can but feel a sense of companionship with the former masters of the palace and the grounds we walk through the barca or boat-shaped antechamber to the hall of the ambassadors and imagine the caliphs of the umayyad seated upon his thrones at the end while we gaze up into the lofty dome and allow our eyes to wander about the great apartment as we admire the medallions the graceful characters of arabic inscriptions the delicate patterns of the plasterwork with which the walls are adorned the balconies the white blue and gold of the cornices and ceilings the circles crowns and stars moulded to imitate the vault of heaven we stop before the window looking over the Daro, to think how Aisha once let boabdil down in a basket from it five centuries ago how charles V said of the unfortunate moor ill-fate the man who lost all this we bring up before us the discoverer of america as tradition paints him pleading in this place with the good isabella for gracious permission to add another jewel to a crown the bright gem of a new world we climbed to the terraced roof of the tower following the narrow windings of the steep stairway once trodden by a fair lady and gallant prince as they hastened to the lofty battlement to watch the approach of some army or anxiously to study the progress of a battle on the vega our eyes search the broad expense for that bridge of pinus where Moor and christian more than once fought for the mastery we remember that it was at that spot that isabella's messenger overtook the despairing columbus as he conveyed to him the queen's recall when the marino was plodding toward other realms to carry his bold proposition to other and as he hoped more gracious sovereigns we care not that it is tradition only fixes the spot tradition and romance are portion of the charm of the alhambra in our search through the intricate plan of the pile we find ourselves in the boudoir of the sultana the windows of which command the same prospect of the vega a scene to which distance lends its greatest charm we are reminded on every side of the luxury of the olden time when we see the apertures in the white marble floor near the entrance through which perfumes arose from drops which tradition says were burned beneath the floor to make the air of the ladies apartment, verdant with their sweet scent we look down into the garden of the lindaraja upon which Irving also looked when he occupied those apartments which have become historic on his account. The garden itself is scarcely worthy of notice, for it is a little cultivated court, but nearby are the baths of the sultans, with their delicate filigree work, intricate tracery, and brilliant mosaics. There is a fountain which ripples in gentle cadence, as if keeping time to the harmony that the musicians poured down from the balconies when the ladies of harim enjoyed the pleasure of the oriental bath or rested themselves upon cloths of gold each bath cut from a single mass of white marble was placed in its own vaulted chamber and lighted through open works of stars and roses perhaps the most celebrated portion of the entire palace is the court of the lions which occupies a space somewhat smaller than that of the court of the myrtles one hundred and twenty-eight white marble columns arranged by threes and fours in symmetrical fashion support galleries which rise to no very lofty height but the extreme gracefulness and elegance of their varied capitals the delicate traceries the remnants of gold and colour the raised orange-shaped cupolas the graceful minarets the innumerable arches beautiful in their labyrinthine design the empty basin into which the twelve stiff and unnatural lions once poured their constant streams of cooling waters the alabaster reservoir constitute a whole that poetry and romance have loaded even to extravagance from this beautiful court through a door ornamented with rare designs one is ushered into the hall of avenceroges named from the legend that in its precinct the chiefs of that family were beheaded by order of boabdil convenient spots in the stone floor are exhibited to credulous visitors as evidences that the blood was there spilt the sweet and peaceful light which enters the apartment by sixteen airy windows in the star-shaped stalactite roof illuminating its arches ornamented in azure and scarlet seem all inappropriate to such a scene of slaughter and charity would lead us if history did not to doubt that the stain should rest upon the memory of boabdil time would fail us to go through all courts and halls of the comprehensive buildings and we must make our way over the road that crosses that lavine of los molinos bordered with figs and pistachios laurels and roses to the other palace the generalife or garden of the surveyors this is the country-house of the greater palace and so far as the exterior of the building is concerned present the usual simplicity of oriental structures here are the walls without windows the terraces the galleries the arcades all of which are in a state of ruin the delicate arabesques are covered with thick layers of whitewash the fine sculptures have disappeared and the internal beauty of the edifice has long since departed but the charm of the gardens and water remains a rapid stream runs through an artificial channel of marble the entire length of the enclosure under a series of arcades and leafy screens formed by curiously twisted yews while cypresses and orange-trees cast their cooling shadows upon the waters jets and fountains rapid-flowing streams and placid ponds little basins nestling on the ancient bays murmuring rivulets and winding courses reflecting the blue of the sky are intermingled with the utmost perfection of skill and the combination forms one of the most charming effects that can be imagined here says irving is everything to delight the southern voluptuary fruits flowers fragrance green arbors and myrtle hatches delicate air and gushing water here i had an opportunity of witnessing those scenes which painters are fond of depicting about southern palaces and gardens it was the saint's day of the count's daughter and she had brought up several of her youthful companions from granada to sport away a long summer's day among the breezy halls and bowers of the moorish palace a visit to the generalique was the morning's entertainment here some of the gay companions dispersed themselves in groups about the green works the bright fountains the flight of italian steps the noble terraces and marble balustrades. others among whom i was one took their seats in open gallery or colonnades commanding a vast prospect with the Arambra, the city and the vega far below and the distant horizon of mountains A dreamy world all glimmering to the eye in summer sunshine. While thus seated, the all pervading tinkling of the guitar and click on castanets came stealing up the valley of the Daro, and halfway down the mountain we described a festive party under the trees enjoying themselves in true Andalusian style, some lying on the grass, others dancing to the music. From the ruined building one gains perhaps the most satisfactory view of the Alhambra as its reddish line of half-demolished walls is traced along the undulation of the mountains on which it stands while the white ridges of the Sierra Nevada furnish a magnificent background for the picture and set off the heavy mass of the unfinished palace of Charles V two centuries of prosperity with a powerful christian state almost at bowshot were as much as the moors had any right to expect and towards the third quarter of the fifteenth century there were signs that their knell was about to sound the union of aragon with castile by the marriage of ferdinand and isabella was the north of doom Two such sovereigns could not long leave the moors undisturbed in the corner of the peninsula. Muley Ali, generally known by his surname Abul Hassan, which the Spaniards changed into al and many English writers into Aben Hassan, who was of a fiery and warlike nature, resolved to be beforehand with their Catholic majesties in opening the game of war. He refused to pay the customary tribute, and when the ambassador of Ferdinand came to insist, he made answer, tell your sovereigns that the kings of Granada who paid tribute are dead. Our mint now coins nothing but sword blades. To make his meaning unmistakable, he proceeded to carry a raid into the lands of the Christians. Zahara was the spot he selected for attack. A gifted American author had told the story of the last words of the Moors in his own eloquent style, and we must follow Washington Irving in relating the assault of Zahara. In the year of our Lord one thousand four hundred and eighty one, and but a night or two after the festival of the most blessed nativity, the inhabitants of Zahara were sunk in profound sleep the very sentinel had deserted his post and sought shelter from a tempest which had raged without for three nights in succession for it appeared but little probable that an enemy would be abroad during such an uproar of the elements but evil spirits worked best during a storm in the midst of the night an uproar rose within the walls of sahara more awful than the raging of the storm a fearful alarm-cry the moor the moor resounded through the streets mingled with the clash of arms the shriek of anguish and the shout of victory muley abul hassan at the head of a powerful force had hurried from granada and passed unobserved through the mountains in the obscurity of the tempest while the storm pelted the sentinel from his post and howled around tower and battlement the moors had planted their scaling ladders and mounted securely into both town and castle the garrison was unsuspicious of danger until battle and massacre burst forth within its very walls it seemed to the affrighted inhabitants as if the fiends of the air had come upon the wings of the wind and possessed themselves of tower and turret the war-cry resounded on every side shout answering shout above below on battlement of the castle in the streets of the town the foe was in all parts wrapped in obscurity but acting in concert by the aid of preconcerted signals starting from sleep the soldiers were intercepted and cut down as they rushed from their quarters or if they escaped they knew not where to assemble or where to strike whenever lights appeared the flashing scimitar was at its deadly work and all who attempted resistance fell beneath its edge in a little while the struggle was at an end those who were not slain took refuge in the secret places of their houses or gave themselves up as captives the clash of arms ceased and the storm continued its howling mingled with the occasional shouts of the moorish soldiery roaming in search of plunder while the inhabitants were trembling for their fate a trumpet resounded through the streets summoning them all to assemble unarmed in the public square here they were surrounded by soldiery and strictly guarded until daybreak when the day dawned it was piteous to behold this once prosperous community which had lain down to rest in peaceful security now crowded together without distinction of age or rank or sex and almost without raiment during the severity of a winter storm the fierce muley abul hassan turned a deaf ear to all remonstrances and ordered them to be conducted captives to granada leaving a strong garrison in both town and castle with orders to put them in a complete state of defence he returned flushed with victory to his capital entering it at the head of his troops laden with spoil and bearing in triumph the banners and pennons taken at zahara while preparations were making for joust and other festivities in honour of this victory of the christians the captives of zahara arrived a wretched train of men and women and children worn out with fatigue and haggard with despair and driven like cattle into the city gates by a detachment of Moorish soldiery the civilized people of granada were shocked at the cruelty of abul hassan and felt that this was the beginning of the end woe to granada they cried the hour of its desolation is at hand the ruins of zahara will fall upon our own heads retribution was not far off the redoubtable marquess of cadiz captured the castle of Ayama by surprise and thus planted a christian garrison in the heart of the moslem territory within a short distance of granada itself in vain did muley abul hassan invest the captured castle the christians within performed prodigies of valour in its defence and held the place till their friends came to their support either me aliyama woe for my Alyama was the cry that arose in granada aliyama is fallen the key of granada is in the hands of the infidels byron has made everyone familiar with the plaintive ballad which he mistranslated Pasavas el rey moro por la ciudad de Granada, desde las puertas de Elvira hasta las de Bivarambla, Aydemi Alhama. Henceforward, the castle proved a sore thorn in the side of the Moorish kings, for thence the brave Count of Tendillo harried the Vega and wrought infinite destruction. It was a pleasing and refreshing sight, says the Jesuit chronicler, invented by Washington Irving. To behold the pious knight and his followers returning from one of these crusades, leaving the rich lands of the infidel in smoking desolation behind them; to behold the long line of the mules and asses laden with the plunder of the gentiles, the host of captive Moors, men, women, and children, droves of sturdy beeves, lowing kines and bleating sheep all winding up the steep acclivity to the gates of aliyama pricked on by the catholic soldiery it was an awful spectacle at night to behold the volumes of black smoke mingled with lurid flames that rose from the burning suburbs and the women on the walls of the towns wringing their hands and shrieking at the desolation of their dwellings inflamed by respective conquest both sides busied themselves in raids such as these with little result save general devastation and exasperation the christians at last attempted a movement on a larger scale they resolved to invade the province of malaga and marshalling the forces of the south led by the Marquis of cadiz and other noted warriors they set out upon their fateful march it was on a wednesday that the pranking army of high-mettled warriors issued forth from the ancient gates of antequera they marched all day and night making their way secretly as they supposed through the passes of the mountains as the tract of country they intended to maraud was far in the moorish territories near the coast of the mediterranean they did not arrive there till late in the following day in passing through these stern and lofty mountains their path was open along the bottom of a barranca or a deep rocky valley with a scanty stream dashing along it among the loose rocks and stones which it had broken and rolled down in the time of its autumnal violence sometimes their road was a mere rambla or a dry bed of torrent cut deep into the mountains and filled with their shattered fragments these barrancas and ramblas were overhung by immense cliffs and precipices forming the lurking places of ambuscade during the wars between the moors and spaniards as in after times they have become the favourite haunts of robbers to waylay the unfortunate traveller as the sun went down the cavaliers came to a lofty pass of the mountain commanding to their rights a distant glimpse of a part of the fair vega of malaga with the blue mediterranean beyond and they hailed it with exultation as a glimpse of the promised land as the night closed in they reached the chain of little valleys and hamlets locked up among those rocky heights and known among the moors by the name of Asharkia here their vaunting hopes were destined to meet the first disappointment the inhabitants had heard of their approach they had conveyed away their cattle and effects and with their wives and children had taken refuge in the towers and fortresses of the mountains enraged at their disappointment the troops set fire to the deserted houses and pressed forward hoping for better fortune as they advanced don alonso de aguila and the other cavaliers in the vanguard spread out their forces to lay waste the country capturing a few lingering herds of cattle with moorish peasants who were driving them to some place of safety while this marauding party carried fire and sword in the advance and lit up the mountain cliffs with the flames of the hamlets the master of santiago who brought up the rear-guard maintained strict order keeping his knights together in martial array ready for attack or defence should an enemy appear the men at arms of the holy brotherhood attempted to roam in quest of booty but he called them back and rebuked them severely at last they came to a part of the mountain completely broken up by barrancas and Ramblas, of vast depths and shagged with rocks and precipices. It was impossible to maintain the order of march. The horses had no room for action and were scarcely manageable, having to scramble from rock to rock and up and down frightful declivities where there was scarce footing for a mountain god. Passing by a burning village, the lights of the flames revealed their perplexed situation. The Moors who had taken refuge in watch-tower on an impending height shouted with exultation when they looked down upon these glistening cavalier, struggling and stumbling upon the rocks. Sailing forth from their tower, they took possession of the cliffs which overhung the ravine and hurled darts and stones upon the enemy. In this extremity the master of Santiago dispatched messengers in search of succour the Marquis of cadiz like a loyal companion in arms hastened to his aid with his cavalry his approach checked the assault of the enemy and the master was at length enabled to extricate his troops from the defile the other leaders, or guides were ordered to lead the way out of this place of carnage these thinking to conduct them by the most secure route led them by a stiff and rocky pass difficult for the foot-soldiers but almost impracticable to the cavalry it was overhung with precipices from whence showers of stones and arrows were poured upon them accompanied by savage yells which appalled the stoutest heart in some places they could pass out but one at a time and were often transpierced horse and rider by the moorish darts, impeding the progress of their comrades by their dying struggles the surrounding precipices were littered by a thousand alarm fires, every crack and cliff had its flames, by the light of which they beheld their foes, bounding from rock to rock and looking more like fiends than mortal men. Either through terror and confusion, or through real ignorance of the country, their guides, instead of conducting them out of the mountains, led them deeper into their fatal recesses the morning dawned upon them in a narrow rumbler its bottom formed of broken rocks where once had raved along the mountain torrent while above them beetled huge arid cliffs over the brows of which they beheld the turbaned head of their fierce and exulting force all day they made ineffectual attempts to extricate themselves from the mountains columns of smoke rose from the heights where in the preceding nights had blazed the alarm fire the mountaineers assembled from every direction they swarmed at every pass getting in the advance of the christians and garrisoning the cliffs like so many towers and battlements night closed again upon the christians when they were shut up in a narrow valley transversed by a deep stream and surrounded by precipices which seemed to reach the sky and on which the alarm fires blazed and flared suddenly a new cry was heard resounding along the valley isagel isagel echoed from cliff to cliff what cry is that said the master of santiago it is the war cry of Ezagel, the Moorish general said an old castilian soldier he must be coming in person with his troops of malaga the worthy master turned to his knights let us die said he making a road with our hearts since we cannot With our sword let us scale the mountains and sell our lives dearly instead of staying here to be tamely butchered so saying he turned his steed against the mountain and spurred him up its flinty side horse and foot followed his example eager if they could not escape to have at least a dying blow at the enemy as they struggled up the height a tremendous storm of darts and stones was showered upon them by the moors sometimes a fragment of rock came bounding and thundering down ploughing its way through the centre of their host the foot soldiers faint with weariness and hunger were crippled by wounds held by tails and manes of their horses to aid them in their ascent while the horses losing their footing among the loose stones or receiving some sudden wounds tumbled down the steep declivity seed rider and soldier rolling from crack to crack until they were dashed to pieces in the valley in this desperate struggle the alferez or standard-bearer of the master with his standard was lost as were many of his relations and dearest friends at length he succeeded in attaining the crest of the mountain but it was only to be plunged in new difficulties a wilderness of rocks and rugged dells lay before him beset by cruel force having neither banner nor trumpet by which to rally his troops they wandered apart each intent upon saving himself from the precipices of the mountains and the darts of the enemy when the pious master of santiago beheld the scattered fragments of his late gallant force he could not restrain his grief o god exclaimed he great is thy anger this day against thy servants thou hast converted the cowardice of these infidels into desperate valor and hast made peasant and bulls victorious over armed men of battle he would fain have kept his foot soldiers and gathered them together and have made head against the enemy but those around him entreated him to think only of his personal safety to remain was to perish without striking a blow to escape was to preserve a life that might be devoted to vengeance on the moors the master reluctantly yielded to their advice o lord of hosts exclaimed he again from thy rats do i fly not from these infidels they are but instruments in thy hands to chastise us for our sins so saying he sent the guides in advance and putting spurs to his horse, dashed through a defile of the mountain before the moors could intercept him the moment the master put his horse to speed his troops scattered in all direction some endeavoured to follow his traces but were confounded among the intricacies of the mountain. They fled hither and thither, many perishing among the precipices, others being slain by the moors, and others taken prisoners. The horrors of that night among the mountains of Alaga were not speedily forgotten by the Christians. They burned for vengeance, and when Boabdil, properly Abu Abdallah, the king of granada who had temporarily ousted his father from sovereignty sallied forth on a sweeping raid into the lands of the christians they took a signal revenge boabdil marched secretly by night but his movements were not long undetected beacon fires blazed from the hilltops and the count of cabra aroused by their flames sounded alarm and assembled the chiefs of the district they fell upon the moors near lucena and aided by the cover of the woods made so skilful an attack that the enemy turned remember the mountains of malaga was the ominous cry as the christian knights set spurs to their horses in pursuit of the moslems with the shout of st james they dashed upon them and the retreat became an utter rout when the fugitives entered the gates of granada a great wave of lamentation passed through the city beautiful granada how is thy glory faded the flower of thy chivalry lies low in the land of the stranger no longer does the viva echo to the tramp of steed and sound of trumpet no longer is it crowded with thy youthful nobles gloriously arrayed for the tilt and tourney beautiful granada the soft note of the lute no longer floats through thy moonlit streets the serenade is no more heard beneath thy balconies the lively castanets is silent upon thy hills the graceful dance of zambra is no more seen beneath thy bowers beautiful granada why is the alhambra so forlorn and desolate the and myrtle still breathe their perfumes into its silken chambers the nightingale still sings within its groves, its marble halls are still refreshed with the pleasure of fountains and the gush of limpid reels Alas, the countenance of the king no longer shines within those halls, the light of the Alhambra is set forever. Boabdil indeed had been made prisoner and was now a captive on his way to Cordova, while Ferdinand ravaged the Vega and old Muley Abul Hassan who now returned to his kingdom, ground his teeth in impotent rage behind his stout ramparts. End of chapter 12